0: down in a southern southern in a small southern town there was a nativity scene that showed great skill and talent had gone into creating it and one small feature bothered me this guy from up north said the three wise men were wearing firemen's hats or helmets totally unable to come up with the reason or explanation i left And at a quick shop on the edge of town, I asked the lady behind the counter about the helmet. She exploded into a rage, yelling at me. You Yankees never do read the Bible. I assured her that I did, but simply couldn't recall anything about firemen in the Bible. She jerked her Bible out from behind the counter and ruffled through some of the pages and finally jabbed her finger in a passage, sticking it in my face. And she said, see, it says right here, the three wise men came from afar. That's true. (laughs) They did come from afar. Well, I appreciate you being here this morning. I want you to go to the book of Luke in the second chapter. Very familiar, I'm sure, and so we'll get into this a little bit today. But I want to just tell you, I need the Christmas story. I really do. In this day of technological advances, I need Christmas. I need the Christmas story. Listen to what it says. It says this, starting with verse 6 and 7. So it was, while they were there, the days were com- completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in their fields, keeping watch over their flock by night, uh, And they were sore afraid. And they were, uh, excuse me, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone around about them. And they were greatly afraid. The angel said to them, do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to you, to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Uh, Who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel multitudes of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. Let's pray. Father, I thank you uh, for today. I thank you for this story. So simple, Father. And yet by the same token, it's so uh, so, uh, in such a way, Father, it, it is all of life centers around this. So, Lord, I pray simply that the, today that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in Thy sight. For You are our strength; You are our everything. Lord, we can't do this without You, and we pray simply that You would be with us. And we ask this in Jesus' name and for His sake. Uh, We also, today, this morning, we welcome those that are watching us by YouTube or other means or on our website, and so we thank you for tuning in with us this morning. I need the Christmas story, though. The world that you and I live in is becoming more and more complex. And scientists even tell us that if technology continues to grow at the pace it is uh, that we, are, we as human beings will not be able to manage it. In fact, I just uh, saw a thing where Elon Musk just came out and said the greatest danger to us as human beings and, and to human uh, humanity today is AI, which is artificial intelligence. That's what he said. I remember that with the automobile years ago that all you needed was a pair of wire pliers and some bailing wire. But today, uh, in an automobile are so complex that computer, com, computer in engines, cars will not park, even they'll park themselves, tell you how much air you have on each tire. You can use your phone in your car. You can dial anyone in the world as far as that goes in your car. Your car can do all kinds of things, even turn the lights on in your house and everything else. And so it's gotten more and more and more complex. And technology has affected every aspect of our lives. Now, with iPhones, we feel that we need to be connected 24 7. Facebook, we blog, we tweet. We've even developed this idea that everyone is interested in every detail of our lives. Even when we, even when we rearrange our sock drawer, we feel like we got to tell everybody about it. Well, the Bible tells me over in Genesis 24, verse 63, and this is talking about when Abraham sent, he sent Eliezer to go get a bride for his son Isaac. And he's bringing back, uh, back uh, Rebekah. And the Bible talks about Isaac, and here's what it says And Isaac went out to meditate in a field in the evening, and he lifted up his eyes and he looked, and there were camels coming. How many times have you done that? How many times have you gone away by yourself and just meditated? How many many times have you just gotten alone? It doesn't have to necessarily be in a trip that uh, or uh, that you have a place in your home maybe it's just a chair in a corner or some other place that, where that you just it's where your spot that the moment you sit down you you're in you, you just feel like you're in the presence of God this is why God you know the bible tells us that the sabbath was not uh man was uh, the sabbath was not our man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man, that we would stop and we would rest and we would meditate and we think about the things of God. Intelligence today is, is not how much you know, but how much can you process. So, so you can process a great deal of information, know how to get information and be dumber than a rock, as far as that goes. So in reality... We're becoming more stupid than we ever have been. We think we must be connected, no matter where you are or must be able to communicate. And if I'm alone, I must have noise around me. We don't know what to do when the, uh, if, if quiet comes in. And I, I'd admonish every one of you, especially if you've got kids, you've got grandkids, sometimes just go out in the farthest part of the woods that you can find and just sit. For a while and teach your kids how to listen teach, teach them how to hear the things that are out there and even take a piece of paper and write down tell them just i want you to write down everything you hear to hear squirrels as they try to crack a nut or or the wind blowing through the trees or whatever it may be we miss those things Is what we need to do this technology is driving us not to communicate. But increasingly becoming more and more we're becoming more introverts that can't carry carry on a face to face intelligent conversation. I'm concerned about this. I'm concerned about young people that cannot look you in the face and talk to you. I mean go on some of the business and things and and have dealings with some of these. Uh, millennials or some of these people, and see and I, and I, you know and I, and i I would probably be the same way if I was part of their generation, but I will tell you right now, we're becoming introverts. Have you tried to look up somebody's phone number lately if you don't if they have not sent it to you or given it? you can't do that anymore, so in reality, all this communication and things that we're seeing today really has pushed us farther apart than brought us together. That's where a society that needs interdependent relationships are becoming a nation of recluses and cell phones or computers. And now let me just say this. I'm not anti-technology, but there are times I need to be alone, that I need to be still without something stuck in my ear. Now i got hearing aids. (laughs) And now they connected them. and, And when I went over there, they asked me if I wanted to connect them to my iPhone, and I let them do it. And now when I get a phone call, I hear it in my ear, but I can't talk to anybody. i got to figure out how to turn my iPhone off so I can hear my hearing aids. (laughs) So I find in this technological age, man, I need a Christmas story. I need it. The so-called little people, the, so- the called little places, the so-called little things that are so, are the called, the little task. I need those things. Michelangelo was once working on a painting in the Sistine Chapel and a friend noticed the painting and the days passed. And a person returned and noticed that no progress had been made and he asked, why haven't you been working on the painting? And the great artist replied, I've been working day and night on it. The man said, I see no changes. He said, I've been working on a finger for a day and a lobe of an ear for a whole day and a wrinkle in the face. He asked Michelangelo, Why do you spend so much time on trifle things? And Michelangelo's reply was, Trifle things make perfection, and perfection is not trifle. And it's not, it's the little things. I need the Christmas story because God chooses in telling the greatest story the world has ever known in a series of little incidents. There's nothing in the story that man calls bigness or complex. And I need the Christmas story first because God uses little people. There were many big men and wealthy men in Palestine at this time. There were artists who appreciated beauty Religious leaders who left their joy of home to live in the desert to fast and to pray and give themselves over to religious exercise. Yet it was not to them that the angels appeared. Uh, the ears, the, the, their ears did not hear glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. God and his witness did not choose to send the angels, to send the message to the learned or the wealthy or religious. No, the greatest news in all the world that was ever heard, God sent it to simple shepherds, the outcasts, those who were not even allowed in the synagogue. He sent it to the lowest of the lowest. They were considered to be unclean. The shepherds were those who heard, fear not. One of the elite was not chosen to carry the babe in her womb. It was not fashionable. It was not a fashionable, wealthy, learned lady of Nazareth. But it was given to a simple teenage girl by the name of Mary. A poor girl of, of Nazareth. The Bible says in Luke 138, and said, Then Mary said, Behold, the when the angel told her you know, told her that she was going to be a child by the Holy Spirit. And she asked the question that any common sense person would ask. How can this be since I've been not, never been with any man? And she says, but when the angel told her that with God all things are possible. She says, then Mary said, behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I really believe that that act right there was the greatest act of faith in the entire scripture of the world. That young teenage girl was willing to be the vessel in which our Lord came about. None of the great men of that day were chosen to head the home of, uh, in, in which the, the child, Christ's child would be reared. It was left to a humble carpenter. But you know it was always been this way. It's always been that way. The Bible tells me, as Paul wrote over in Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27 and 28, he said, but God has chosen the foolish things of this world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things of the mighty. He goes on to say in verse uh, 28, and the base things of the world and the things that are despised. God has chosen the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are Who killed Goliath, little David? Who defeated the Midianites, 140,000 strong, with only 300 men? Was it a learned? No, was it a man who was a great military expert? No, it was little Gideon who was called while hiding behind a winepress threshing wheat. He was a runt from a little tribe, but God chose him. And who was it that led Israel out of bondage towards the promised land? It was a boy that had been placed in an ark, placed in the Nile River by a poor, humble slave mother by the name of Jochebed. And who sent Naaman to Elisha to be healed of leprosy? Some, some schooler? No, it was a little maid. And the whole Christmas story reminds us that God uses little people to do big things. I wish I could get that over to you. And who took the gospel around the Mediterranean Sea? A man of wealth and fame? No, it was a little bald headed man by the Jew that was small in physique and had bad eyes called Paul. And who was it who saw the resurrection of Christ in the glory on that Easter morning? Was it some princess? No. It was a woman once possessed by seven devils. Her name was Mary Magdalene. Who was it that with Jesus who said it was the greatest in the kingdom of heaven the Lord took a little child into his arms and wrapped his arms around them and he said that child was the greatest in the kingdom of heaven and he even goes on to say that except you and I become like little children not naive little children We can't enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, what's he saying to us? He's saying to have that childlike faith. Yeah, I believe that God created everything in just six days and rested on the seventh. And yeah, I believe there was a flood and Noah escaped. And yes, I do believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. And yes, I do believe that he did the miracles he did. And yes, I do believe, I do believe that Jesus that Jesus resurrected from the dead. And yes, I do believe that Jesus ascended into heaven and now sits at the right hand of God. And yes, I do believe that he's coming back to get us one of these days. The the simple childlike faith. And yes, I believe it with everything that's in me. And I also... I also believe if I gave my heart and trust in Him, and there's no other way under heaven where men might be saved. And yes, I believe that when I give my heart and soul to Him, that He will save me and take me home to heaven one of these days. So it wasn't this Christmas story that Mary and Simeon and Anna and the shepherds and Zacharias, just common people, Now, you may be saying, you know, I, I, once, I, once, read, uh, I once read where A.W. Tozer, that I have several of his books, came to Christ at age 17, born in a poor home. He had, had, no, had known hardship from as long as he could remember. He had a third grade education. And God called him to preach. But he thought he was uneducated. He said, how can I preach that I have no education? But in a dingy corner of a wet basement that became his private prayer, prayer chamber, Tozer read the works of Shakespeare on his knees, praying that God would teach him how to speak. And he pastored for over 30 years and he authored some 40 books. I remember when I first became a Christian and God called me into ministry, one of the a series of books that I read was by a, name, by a man by the name of Herschel Ford. And one of the things that I got out of those books over and over again was the fact of the love of God which just seemed to just permeate from this man. And I, couldn't, I was trying to figure out, Lord, how, how is it this man understands the love of God so much? And then one day I was reading one of his books and as I read, he told a story how he watched as just a five-year-old child and he watched how that the hearse came and has picked up his mother and took her away. God sometimes takes vessels that are heartbroken who knows the cares and the affairs of this world and have, 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 have run up against the walls of this world and he understands and they understand greater than the hurt and the things. I think of some of the things that God has done in my life and I, I've, I've questioned sometimes and I wonder, Lord, why did I have to go through that my heart was broken? And now I understand. I understand that when I sit with somebody and I talk with somebody and they start telling me of their hearts and their pains that they're going through and all the things and how they have been so come to the place that they've become so disgusted and, and, and tired and worn out. And I understand now what that pain is like. That's why the psalmist said it was good that I was afflicted. Now, man, now, you know, now maybe, maybe you're saying, "Well, I have, I have no talent, and and, and maybe I can't do anything." And, and and you know, it almost sounds like Moses is what you're saying. I'm slow with speech. I can't do this. I can't do that. And 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 yet, when I read in Matthew 25, verse 26, and when I read that there. Jesus is telling the parable uh, uh, he's telling the parable of the talents and he gave one man 5 and he gave another man 2 and this man he just gave one talent he had only one talent and i hear people all the time well i just don't have any talent i just have one i just can't do whatever but i wish i could sing like i wish i could play like other, i wish i could do this i wish i could do this but listen what Jesus said to that one man he said to that one man over in 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 uh there and, and, and he said this he said simply that to him he said you wicked and lazy he, he said I thought you were a hard man but the Lord answered and said to him you wicked and lazy servant you knew that what I reap where I have not sown and gather where I not scattered seed. who was it that God got upset with it was the guy who had one talent not the people who had multiple talents and so he took his talent away and gave it to somebody. You know what I've understood? I've come to the place and understood that who are the people that will get the job done for People that not have all kinds of time on their hands. It's people that are busy. They make time. It's just like prayer. What's your prayer life like? See, we don't have time to pray. And let me just say this to you. Jesus didn't have time to pray either. You have to set aside time to pray. It has to become a priority in your life. That's the difference. That's the difference. So the second thing is I need need Christmas story because God uses little places. That means he can use a place in Winchester, Kentucky called Grace Bible Church if we let him do that. If we put him first as a church... There are places of beauty and splendor in Palestine in that day. Great estates and plush furnishings, nice hotels for the wealthy. And yet in the fullness of time, God sent forth, he chose a stable. A stable. Can, can, can you you know could see Herod's temple, this magnificent temple that he built that was destroyed in 70 AD. You could see that temple from where Jesus was born in a stable. And, and I know we build these, we build these, uh, these nativity scenes, and we take two before us, and they're all they're all fresh wood and everything, so sanitary and everything. That was not where Jesus was born. Jesus was born where the dung of donkeys was. He was born where pigs had been. He was born where the soot hung off the wall. Because they had built so many fires in that it was a cave in, the, in that cave so many times that the soot littered and it was there not in some I, you know I've been when my kids were born when I when my grandkids were they were born in places that were immaculate places that there was no germs nothing in there everybody had to have a mask on everything else of course that's changed anyway but everything had to have that way our precious Lord was born in probably the filthiest place he could have ever been born in. You think about it. Think about it. That's what happened. The Last Supper was... uh, was held in a barred room. Pentecost, the 120 met in the upper room. 5,000 were fed on a hillside. Many of Paul's epistles were written in a dungeon. Pilgrim's Progress was written in jail by John Bunyan on milk bottle stoppers. D.O. Moody was discovered in a shoe store. Blessed be God, God can use you and God wants to use you, but you say, I'm little. God uses little people, but... I'm unlearned. God uses unlearned people. Now listen to this. The Lord is not looking for people with ability. Well, I wish we'd learned this. God's not looking. If he did, he wouldn't have picked me. He's not looking for people that has ability. He's looking for people that have availability. That they're... That you have to, you know, is it going to be inconvenient? Oh, yes, it's going to be inconvenient if you follow Jesus. It's going to be inconvenient to you. You say, well, I got this going on, I got this going on, I got this going on. Yes, it's going to be inconvenient. But our Lord was inconvenient for you. Yes, it's going to be inconvenient. But we've got to put that aside. You say but I'm old Let me tell you something God uses old people Look at me Abraham and Sarah She's 90 he's 100 Moses is 80 There's a little apartment somewhere And a mother is asking for help For Christmas The water's going to be cut off And the father is depressed And can't find work there's a little boy or a girl who is somebody who will get the message of Jesus could be the next Moody or Graham or Elizabeth Elliot. I remember reading stories years ago of when Moody was at his prime and he was preaching conferences like Billy Graham. Uh, he was a forerunner of Billy, of, of, of Billy Graham. You know, Moody. If you if you go back, you have to understand that Moody, when he came to the Lord. He led a man to the Lord called called Billy Sunday, who was a baseball player. And they said, you know, when Billy Sunday would preach, if you had anything left on the platform, you'd be like, he'd start throwing things, you know. He'd get emotional people. Don't be emotional. Just stand in one place so the camera don't go. And I walk, I watch. I look at her, I'm all over the place. I know, I can't sit still. Some people, say you just scream and holler too much. I, I, I tried to talk. I can't do that. This is good gospel. It's the good news, you know. And Billy Sunday was that way he throwed everything around and then Billy Sunday and I wish I could remember what uh, uh, I wish I could remember the man who, who came and and they got and I'll think of his name in a minute but they brought him to a place in North Carolina to preach a gospel preach a, 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 a preaching a revival there and all the farmers in that place had gotten together and they prayed and when they prayed they prayed this they said Lord, Let this revival touch the world. You say, man, what touch the world? A little place in North Carolina to touch the world. Yeah, let's 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 touch the world. And there was a young man sitting in the crowd that night and and this guy had really long fingers and he would point his fingers at people and when he would point his fingers at people finally this guy said, listen, I joined the choir because I got tired of him pointing his finger at me. I got back here so he couldn't point his finger but he came and he had to give his heart to the Lord and who was that? Billy Graham. And they prayed, let this revival touch the world. Little people, little places, God will use big things for them if they just do it. I remember, you know, but there's people out there in a little apartment. Water is going to be cut off. The father's depressed, can't find work. There's a little boy, girl, somebody will get the message of Jesus. And I and I remember that Moody one time he would he, when he in his heyday he would he went on to Europe to preach, and and in the in the night he would preach in these conferences and in the daytime he would go to they would go in a carriage and they would go to all these places and visit these places, and they would go out to the gypsy camps in Europe, and he said they went to this place one time and all these kids would run to him. And said, so Moody got out of the carriage and all he did was take his hand and he laid it on this one kid. And he said to him simply, put his hand on his hand and said, may you grow up to be a great evangelist. That's all he did. So years later, he, he got a call uh, that uh, a young man by the name of Gypsy Smith was preaching in New York City. And he went there. He, he was actually invited to come. And he came... and and said he met Gypsy Smith, and Gypsy Smith looked at him and said to him simply this, Do you know who I am? And he said, No, I I, I, I guess this is the first time. He said, No, it's not. He said, Remember when you were out there at those camps over in, in England and said, When you did, you came and you put your hand on one kid that said, May you grow up to be a great evangelist? Guess who that was? That was me. You don't know what you may do. When you lead somebody the Lord, what that person may be in their life, how great they could be. We just don't know. I remember the story of Jack Hiles, that, uh, one of my favorite preachers, an independent Baptist preacher. But I loved him to death, his sermons, and, and he was funny and everything else. But he grew up in a dirt room shack, two room shack. His dad was an alcoholic and his mother was a great Christian lady. And he said, I remember the first time I ever went to, a, he went to a, actually Dallas, Dallas, Texas. He went to Dallas, the, the Baptist church, there's a huge church. He said, I walked in that church and I thought to myself, he said, I'm like five or six years old. And says I thought to myself, this must be the place where the whole world gets together when they all meet. Because I'd never seen a place that big. He said, I I went and said, they introduced me to my first Sunday school teacher and said, she picked me up and set me on my lap, on her lap and she said, Jackie, she called me, said, I'm going to call you Jackie boy. And said, she put me on her, put me on her lap and said, all the other kids in there, said, they were staring at me like this. So they were just looking at me like crazy. And the reason they were looking at me and staring at me, they'd never seen a kid come to Sunday school that didn't have any shoes on. I said, this lady wrapped her arms around me and she said to me, Jackie boy, do you know that Jesus loves me? Loves you? He said, nobody would ever told me that but my mama. So she said to me, you know, Jackie boy, that Jesus loves you? He said, years later when I was preaching, somebody said, uh, said, there's, said there's somebody here to see you. He so said, he went out and said, when he did there, stood this little lady now with a handkerchief in her hand. And she said, you probably don't remember me. And he said, oh, yes, I do. You were the first person to ever tell me that Jesus loved me other than my mama. And I'm, I am what I am today because you cared enough about me for that. God will use little places like Grace Bible Church. I would like to think that today in heaven, Miss Fanny Bush, who started all this up here, started the school, knows that she started what she started years ago, going on strong for the cause of Christ. We used to have a, side, a picture over there that had her picture there that said, Great Humanitarian and Christian that was given by the Kiwanis Club here in Winchester. Boy, you won't find that today happening. Third and final thing, I, I need to hear the Christmas story because it reminds me that God uses little things. Little things. He used a manger. He used swaddling clothes. Swaddling clothes are what they used to write dead people in, and that was all that Mary had for Jesus. When Christ came into this world, he didn't come to a hospital maternity ward, a sterile environment, but to a manger. God uses, chooses to use little things when he decides to do something. He, uh, two fishes and five loaves of bread to feed 5,000. Moses, an old shepherd's rod, to put in the Red Sea to part it. God doesn't need anything but just yielded little ones. You say, I don't have much, Lee. You don't need much. When Joseph and Mary went into the temple, they couldn't afford a lamb but two turtle doves. God uses little things. And finally, I I need to hear the Christmas story. God uses little tasks. Sometimes I've heard people say, I can't do much. Oh, yes, you can. You don't know what God can do through you. God could have made this a spectacle if he wanted to. He could have shot off fireworks. He could have had all kinds of things happen. He could have brought the whole whole, entire world to the knees if he wanted to. But God decided at at night to announce it to shepherds who were watching over their flocks by night. Why? Because I believe in their heart and soul they were looking for the Messiah. Some people say, well... We're not, gonna, we're not going to, we're not going to, I don't believe that, Lee, in this secret, the rapture that's going to take place. Well, let me tell you something I do. Now, the second coming, when Jesus comes, he's coming, and the Bible says every eye will see him. But I believe we're going to be out of here one of these days, and the world's going to say, where are they? And they're going to be left trying to explain that. But I believe that it's going to be secret. Why? Because we're looking for His coming. Those who love His appearing is what the Word says. You know, uh, one thing I've noticed about great people that they take care of details. They do little tasks. I once heard that... uh, In a conference that, uh, I, I, I was there at a conference and I saw Henry Blackaby, this great theologian. And this young preacher was up there preaching. And what was Blackaby doing? Blackaby was sitting there taking notes of what this young kid said, you know. I remember being in a conference one time, a huge conference, and old Jack R., uh, you probably won't even recognize this name, but a man by the name of John R. Rice was there. He was 80-something years old when I heard him preach. And every sermon he preached, he preached with tears running down his cheeks. And, and he, it wasn't his turn to preach. Somebody else was preaching. I, I can't remember what it was, Howells or whoever it was was preaching. And this was in Little Rock, Arkansas. And there was a noise outside in the hall. Guess who got up and went and shut the door? It was this old theologian, John R. Rice, that went. Little things. Little things. You know, the day comes when I won't be here. The day comes that the Lord tells me, you're done. And, you know, I'm going to be gone. And you're going to be left. And I've already talked to the board about this. You know, the day, that, that you're going to have to Come up with an idea Of bringing another pastor in here Who are you going to bring What are you looking for I believe you ought to bring somebody in here that's, that's sound I believe you ought to have Somebody that's sound enough That they know what scripture They know what the grace of God is They know what the eschatology teaches You, got, you don't want to bring, I tell you I'll turn over my grave If you all bring somebody in here Starts preaching, starts preaching uh, something That you, you can be saved today And lost tomorrow I'll come back and haunt you as far as that goes. You need to bring somebody in here educated so they can go down and talk to the bankers. They need to be. He doesn't necessarily need to go to seminary or cemetery because they're looking to take a bucket of cold water and throw on the guy and put his fire out. You don't want that. But you want somebody educated that can talk to educated people and and do the things they need to do. But you also need not only somebody that's educated, you need somebody that can go down here and talk to the banker. But you also need to talk to somebody that can talk to the guy who rides on the back of the garbage truck and make him feel good about himself. And not condescend to him that loves people, that loves to visit people. You, you, need to, somebody, you, need to ha, you need to bring a preacher in here that can know how to use a mop and a broom. I'm so sick and fed up with people who get a position and they think they have no responsibility whatsoever. When I was a kid in football practice one time, we were, we were mopping up some things. And, and when we did, the football coach grabbed the mop from me and said, let me show you how to mop. And he showed me how to mop, and then he said this. He said, "One of these days, he said, this will take you far." <laughs> I'm still mopping now. These days, I thought, well, hell, so. But to learn how. But I'm, I'm saying, I, I remember Dave Cantrell told me one time. He said, "You know, Lee, when I get ready to hire somebody, I take some paper and throw it in the floor, and when that guy comes in to interview, says, if if he looks down sees that paper and he walks over top of it." If he walks over top of it, he so says, that's the guy I'm saying, well, I don't want him. But he looks at a piece of paper, he says, hey, you dropped your piece of paper. He says, that's the guy I want to talk to. If you cannot do the little things, if you can't be on time, if you can't have a work ethic that you work hard in what you're trying to do, that's not the guy you want. you got to have somebody that's able to do those kind of things. You know, uh, May I tell you there are no small things or tasks in God's kingdom sweeping the floor. Somebody, might say some, see, come, somebody may come in and see some dirt and not come back. Taking care of a child in the nursery so a mother or a father who may, be, who may be that don't know the Lord might sit and contemplate. Why do, why do we only want to do big things? Why do we only do big things? Why do we only do big things? May I tell you, there are no small tasks in God's kingdom. Is it, do we think God only knows his public things, yet the Word of God tells us he counts the hairs on your head? The sparrow doesn't fall to the ground without my Father in heaven giving permission. He tells us to consider the lilies of the field. He bottles up our tears. I was hungry and you fed me. And they said, where, Lord, did we see you hungry or fed? You know, sometimes I think we want to move away from this complex world. Jesus has taught us that we're in the world and we're not of the world. And somebody says, well, we need to go back to, we need to be simplified things. And I agree with that because the Apostle Paul said that you not be taken away from the simplicity that's in Jesus Christ. Now, some people say, well, what we need to do, we need to go back to the Amish. And get a horse and buggy. And then I, I, they got a point in some ways. But let me tell you something. If you think the Amish lifestyle is simple, you, you don't know the Amish they're not allowed to have pockets to put things in. They said that's pride. They're not allowed to have buttons. They have to use straight pins all the time. They're not, they can't do things. And I'm not for sure where they really trust and believe in Jesus the way they should. I've talk, I, I know one fellow that he said that it, he, he had to come out of the Amish religion and said when he did, he went he, he, uh, uh, he said, I, love, I miss the families, I miss the work ethic, I miss everybody getting together to do things. He said, but if I went back... To uh, to be a part of that, I would have to deny Jesus. Now, that's what he said. And let me ask you this question. You know, the Amish, you say, well, they're not of the new world. Well, you know, they, we don't ride in cars, okay? But, you know, there was a time in the old world that buggies were new. So you're riding in buggies? Huh? I... I went fishing one time with my father-in-law up in Michigan and we were getting in a boat to go out and we looked and here come an Amish guy down the road in a buggy and pulling behind this buggy had a 20 foot bass boat with a 75 horsepower Evinrude on the back of it. (laughs) See The Bible says there is a way which seems right to man. Now, notice this. The Bible says there is a way. But Jesus didn't say he was a way. He said, I am the way. This is why over in Romans 10, it talks about the Jewish people who have a zeal for God, but it's not according to knowledge. For they went about to establish their own righteousness, which is from the law, and not the righteousness of God. It's You know, I I thought about this so much when the Bible talks about your mind, and it talks about bringing every thought into captivity, and it tells you to bring every thought into captivity to the what? To the obedience of Jesus Christ. What's that say? That's saying some of us that have mental things, a bridal every time when those things come, I need to bring it back. To what? The obedience of Christ. What does that mean? It means I'm going back to the place where Jesus died for that. He died for everything. Every lousy, filthy thing I've ever done. And I need to come to a place that I trust, trust Him and do that. Well, let me finish Isaiah 43, 3 and 4, and this is the century version, I'll read this. He says, I have carried you since you were born. I have taken care of you from your birth. Even when you were old, I will be the same. Even when your hair turns gray, I will take care of you. I have made you and will take care of you, says the Lord. In this complex technological world, I need to hear the simple story of Christmas. I need to hear my Father notices me. God cares. Little, simple things. He cares. We in America have become so spoiled. And I close with this. I heard a story not long ago of a preacher who had the opportunity to go to the World Evangelism Conference and it was held in Amsterdam. And he went there. And he said, in filling out the application to be able to go there, he said, they, they gave the expense of what it was going to take to stay in a hotel. And he said, when he got there, he was going to stay in a hotel, but it was pretty expensive to be able to stay in a hotel, and they were going to be there about two weeks. But he said, they had another option, and this other option, they didn't actually tell you where it was or what it was or whatever, but it was a whole lot cheaper. So he says I chose the other option. He said, when I arrived in Amsterdam... To be able to go to this place. Says I, they, they took me out. To this place where we were going to stay. And said it wasn't anything more than a big barn. Dirt floor. And said there were probably maybe. Ten of us in one place. On a unit. And said there was probably. A couple of few thousand that were there. And he said well I thought. Well at least I'll go take a shower. He said I found out there were 400. Ahead of me to be able to take a shower. He said, I went to my, where, where my place was, my station was, where I was going to be staying. He said, it was a metal cot that had a mattress on it about that thick. And said, there was a bottle of water laying there with some cheese. And he said, I looked at that and I thought to myself, there ain't no way to where I'm going to stay here two weeks. and sleep on that little bitty bed, have water and cheese all week long. I just can't do it. I won't do it, you know. And so he said, I started to walk out of there. And he, he said, I started. I'm going to get a hotel. And I met this guy from Texas and this other evangelist from Texas. And this, and, and this guy from Texas said, uh, he said, uh, man, I, he said, I'm said i getting out of here. He said, I'm going to find me a hotel. He said, well, that's what I've been thinking. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back towards town and get a hotel. He said, well, I'll go. He said, well I'll, well, I'll listen. He said, you can ride with me. He said, okay. He said, but let me go get my stuff. So he goes back to his bunk to get his stuff. And he says, while I was picking up my stuff, I looked over, and right next to me was this little evangelist from India. And he was on his knees, and he was thanking God for this wonderful bed that God had given him. And said, Lord, look, there's a bottle of water, and there's some cheese here. And said, he said, what a bounty you have given me. <laughs> He said, I had to go back and tell that guy from Texas, I can't go. <laughs> but is that not true? All oh, the little things that we need to be thankful for God for. If your family is with you today, then be thankful. I mean, when I look out here and, and, and I see my son sitting here, both of them, it, you, you don't know what that means to me, my grandsons. I, I mean, really, my heart jumps up and down. I look for them when they come. And my family... That means everything in the world to me. It's the little things. Oh, I pray that you'll have a great Christmas. And you will if you'll start realizing what God has done for you. By sending his son into this world that died for you. That's what I pray for. Let's pray. Well, Father, I thank you for today. And I thank you for uh, this wonderful day of your son's birthday. And Lord, we... We celebrate that birthday today, and we thank you. And, Lord, may your your spirit just fill this place today. And, Lord, you know, if there's one person here today that has never come to a place that they've given their heart and their soul to Jesus, I pray today this would be the day that they open up their heart and they say, Oh, Lord Jesus, will you come into my life? Will you be my Lord and Savior? I believe, Lord, that you came into this world as a virgin, born of a virgin, that you lived a perfect, holy life, and that you died for all of our sins, and that, Lord, you arose again the third day. Lord, that's the gospel. So, Lord, I pray simply today be with us, we pray, and we ask all this in the mighty name of Jesus, and for his sake, amen. So, as we get ready to stand and have a voice, a verse of invitation, If you're here today and you don't know the Lord, I pray you'll come, you know.